Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. Living a healthy, balanced life is no small feat, especially when you're a mom. With meals to cook, laundry to load, work to do, and humans to raise, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe living a healthy life has become way too complicated. What we need isn't a new plan or program telling us what to eat or how to live. We need simple, uncomplicated routines and information that's going to help us live our best, most beautiful life without rules and restrictions. Join me, Kristen Dofniak, holistic health coach, certified intuitive eating counselor, and mama of two for weekly conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life, uncomplicate eating, and simplify in every area of mom life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balanced Mama podcast. Chris here, and it is early morning. It's actually only 5.30 in the morning, and I am sitting here with my mug of hot coffee, and I just wanted to settle in and have a chat with you guys today. Something that I have mentioned a lot here on the podcast is my hormone journey and my journey to discovering that a lot of the symptoms that I had had throughout my life as a preteen and a teenager were not in my head. And it turned out that they are the symptoms of a hormonal imbalance um, that I had and I still have to some extent, it comes and goes, but it's really impacted my life and the way I take care of myself a lot, just knowing that I do have this hormonal imbalance that I just need to be conscious about. And it's been a really interesting journey of discovery when it comes to my wellness and how I can manage something like a hormonal imbalance in whatever season of life I'm in. So whether I was in the season of wanting to get pregnant again, or, and I'll share with you kind of my my first and my second getting pregnant experience within this, um, because they're very different. And then in the season of not desiring 
to get pregnant anymore, but just desiring balance and wanted to to take care of myself. But as you guys know, I'm all about balance. I don't want to be on anything that's restrictive or anything that feels like a diet, but I also want to take care of myself and my body really well. And so that journey has been really interesting and really revealing and in different seasons, it's meant different things. And so I thought today I would sit down and I would just share with you guys my own personal hormone journey. Now we've had several experts here on the podcast talk about hormones. Um, We've had guests talk specifically about PCOS, which is polycystic ovary syndrome, which is something that... I um, struggle with. And we've also had guests talk about thyroid imbalances and Hashimoto's. And we've had guests talk about just, you know, general hormone imbalance. And I'll go ahead and I will link some of my favorite guests who have talked about hormone imbalances, um, because there really is no such thing as a general hormone imbalance, um, because our hormones are Many of you probably know they're chemical messengers in our body. So when we think of hormones, we think of sex hormones, and that is what I am going to be primarily talking about. Um, So for women, our primary sex hormones are estrogen and progesterone um, and also LH and FSH, if you get blood tests done, those are often the main ones that they test. But then we also have testosterone and DHEA, which are typically in higher levels in men. Um, But women also have them as well. And when those are imbalanced, that can indicate an imbalance, such as PCOS as well. Um, and, And then we also have our stress hormones, and those are all related to our sex hormones as well. And then we have metabolic hormones, thyroid hormones. So hormones is a really big it's a big topic. Um, and as you guys know, I, I have a background in nutrition, in holistic nutrition, but I am not a doctor. I'm not a naturopath. I'm not a chiropractor. Um, so I'm not coming at any of this um, from a medical perspective. So everything that I share today is just from my own journey, my own experience. Um, and anything that I share is not meant to be a recommendation for you. It is just meant to share and to um, encourage you that In different seasons, we might have to do different things to take care of ourselves and our health and maybe give you that encouragement and empowerment um, to seek out answers if you are having question marks around your health, around your hormones, um, and you might want to go to a practitioner yourself or like me, maybe several practitioners to really find what works for you. So today I'm just going to kind of take you through the whole journey of my hormone imbalance, my hormone balance, and kind of what has worked for me. Um, For those of you who have listened to the episodes with Dr. Heather Rhodes, she is a holistic pharmacist and a hormone expert, and she is absolutely incredible at what she does. She's so darn smart. If you if you if you listen to her episodes, you know this, but if you've ever heard her talk, we did a hormone hot seat. Um last month or now it'll be almost like a month and a half ago over on Instagram, but she still has it up on her IGTV. And I'll link that in the show notes as well, because she basically took the time to do a mini session with me. And, you know, outside of that, we've also been working together on some projects and she's given me some guidance on my hormones right now, because as I'll share with you, there have been some imbalances that have popped up in the last few months after a stressful several months and really 
a stressful year for many of us, some of my hormone system uh, symptoms have popped back up. And so I always have a really incredible practitioner in my back pocket to refer to, to book sessions with, and to talk to about my hormones. Uh, And I encourage you to do the same. She's a great resource over on Instagram. She has some incredible courses. uh, And, you know, she is, she is my go-to expert. Um, I think because she's first and foremost science-based and super knowledgeable, but the things that she recommends are also very simple and practical and doable. They're not so simple that you're like, and you know, sometimes they are so simple, like, oh, I didn't actually think of that. But she has the science behind it to tell you why this is really helpful or why this might not be helpful. I know in the episode we talked about something like intermittent fasting. And there will be people who will tell you that intermittent fasting is great for everyone. But she talks about the fact that, yeah, it can be great for some people. But for a lot of people, it's not great. And for a lot of women and their hormones, it's not great either. So she really has um, the explanation for these type of things. And she just provides really simple and practical advice. So she's pretty incredible. Um, so as I go into sharing all this with you, just know that um, I have some incredible practitioners by my side and um, here on the podcast. And so if you guys want any more information on any of the practitioners that have been on the podcast who have talked about hormones and hormone balance, um, just check out the show notes and you can find them over there. But for now, let's dig in. Let's chat about my journey with hormones, kind of where it all started and where I am now. I'm going to take a sip of my coffee. So I don't actually know the first time, actually, I might know the first time I heard the word hormones. I remember my mom bought me this book. It was an American Girl book because I loved American Girl dolls, just like my seven-year-old does. I had Samantha. Um, Shout out to other people who had Samantha. I had the OG Samantha too, like with the plaid dress, and I read all of her books, and I wanted to be her in like 1905 or whenever it was, and she had this like beautiful Victorian house. (laughs) So the um, American Girl Company had these books and I think they were just called the body book and I think there's two now but when I was like 10 there was only one and I think it was called the body book for girls and my mom bought it for me and I can't remember if I saw it at the bookstore and I was curious and I asked her to buy it for me or if she gave it to me Um, I'm not exactly sure, but I know that in this book, it kind of taught you about your changing body. And it's interesting because there were like actual diagrams of things like this is what your boobs are going to look like as they change, or this is how to put a tampon in. Like it was, it was very, um, there were cartoons, right? It wasn't graphic. Um, but it was, it was very interesting for my like 10-year-old self to learn about some of these things, probably even before my mom and I kind of had a conversation um, about the fact that my body would change at some point. And um, I remember reading about hormones in that book and them just kind of like explaining there are female hormones and male hormones. Um, And so interestingly enough, that was kind of the first time I remember hearing about hormones. And then, you know, that was that was it for a long time. 
And so obviously my mom had a conversation with me at some point about, you know, the fact that my body would change and I would get my period and things like that. And it was all very uncomfortable, as I think it is for a lot of moms out there. And I think it was for many years because I think that there's been a big stigma around women and periods and around our female bodies for so long. I know that my, I don't think my mom, I know that she didn't intend to ever make me feel this way. Um, but there was still some, a little bit of kind of like secrecy wrapped around our periods and those, those things that would happen to us. And it, it wasn't necessarily shame-based. Like I never felt like she was like, oh, you should feel bad about this happening to you. Um, or these changes that are happening and but it wasn't it wasn't celebrated either it was it was kind of like okay this thing's going to happen and we don't really talk about it and i've i've tried to already change the narrative when talking to my daughter about things like that she's asked questions and i answer them and she's only 7 and she knows what your period is. And she just has a general knowledge. She doesn't, I don't think she quite understands that, you know, it's going to happen to her one day. She does and she doesn't, like she knows, but it hasn't really kind of um, sunk in yet. But I'm totally comfortable talking to her about these things because I don't want it to be like a big surprise or a big shock when it does happen. Because what happened for me is it was probably like six months after my mom and I had this conversation that I got my period and I was only 11. So I was pretty young on the kind of spectrum of ages. So, I mean, I should have looked this up ahead of time, but I think average is like, it's like 12 to 15 or something like that. Um, Some, you know, some girls, preteens get it younger and some get it when they're older, um, because it's a range, it's an average, right? Um, but I was 11 and I remember, um, one of the experiences that I don't, I don't talk a ton about, um, was that I think I might've mentioned this on a previous podcast, but our family had this like crazy flood in our house right before, um, like it it was cause this happened, I think I got my period in the springtime. And so we had a flood in November in our house and we were actually displaced from our house for several months for repairs. Um, So we were living in a rental house. And so I remember it coming and like sneaking upstairs to tell my mom and being so nervous to tell her as if she was like gonna be mad at me or something, which is so silly to me now because I'm like, why would she be mad at me? But I know some, um, some communities or some cultures celebrate it like you get a party it's a big deal and for us it was just sort of like oh like here are the supplies you might need and that's that so the first time wasn't a big deal I think it was just you know it was just a few days and I didn't really remember feeling any crazy like cramping or symptoms or anything like that the first time around um and then it was several months until the second one came around and I I think I knew that it was supposed to come every month, but I don't think, I mean, I think we just equated it to the fact that I was 11 and it probably wasn't going to be regular to start. And I think that that's very common as well. Um, 
both the thought that it's not supposed to be regular and then it not actually being regular right away. But the problem was starting from like the probably the second time it came, which was a couple months later, it was absolutely horrible. It was really painful the day, especially the day before. I remember having a lot of cramps um, and hiding them because I thought that, you know, I shouldn't talk about it. And they were very, very, very heavy. And at the time, I wasn't comfortable using something like tampons, and so I would use pads. Um, But I would soak through them. And um, sorry, I should have given a TMI warning at the beginning of all of this. (laughs) But if you're listening to a conversation on hormones, I hope you understand that there's going to be some TMI stuff that's going to pop up. Um, so yeah, it it was really crazy heavy. And I remember recording how many days it was, like wondering if it was ever going to end because it would be super, super heavy in nine to 10 days, nine to 10 days, every single time it would come. And this was, it would come every few months. And then eventually it started coming a little bit more regularly. Um, I don't think it was every single month. It was definitely, it definitely was um, pretty unexpected when it would come. And, you know, I would have that cramping in kind of the first day, but there wasn't a lot of warning. And I remember, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I'm actually going to share this on a podcast for thousands of people, but let's do it. I don't know um, who I've actually shared this with, but it's very few people. My most embarrassing moment in middle school was when I was sitting in science class and I had gotten my period earlier that day and I was wearing my favorite light blue, oh my gosh, any of you who were 90s and early 2000s kids know Limited 2. They were pants from Limited 2 and they were like almost like sweatpant material, maybe not sweatpants, like fleecy material on the inside. So they were super cozy. And then they were kind of that like swishy material on the outside. And they were just like a little bit loose. And I would always wear them with a white t-shirt and that was a little bit tighter. And I just thought they were the coolest thing ever. And of course, with Adidas, like the ones with the, the white ones with the three stripes, mine had blue stripes, light blue stripes. So cool, guys. I was not cool in middle school or high school, really, for that matter. I had a a wide range of friends in high school, but I was definitely not cool in middle school. But I thought that these pants were the coolest ever. And so I had my favorite pants on. Remember, light blue. So I had gotten my period earlier that day, and this was when it was super, super heavy. And I... Remember sitting in science class, Mrs. Kushan's science class, and feeling something and like knowing that I, it had leaked through. <laughs> and, um, but like not feeling comfortable like saying something and also being like really afraid to stand up. And so I remember, um, it was, I want to say it was kind of like, it was, we were taking a quiz or something like that. And so I tried to do it when like people couldn't see, but it was still pretty obvious. I got up to tell the teacher I needed to go to the nurse. And at first she like didn't 
understand why because I seemed fine. And when I got up, like it had, it was all over the chair, you guys. And my pants, my pants. And it never really ever washed out, which is so sad. I remember my mom telling me, well, if you just wash it in cold water, it'll come out. No, it still leaves a stain. Still leaves a stain. So I had to go to the nurse. I had to get sweatpants. It was embarrassing, to say the least. And the nurse was like a little bit less than compassionate. (laughs) She was like, oh, yeah, this happens. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. This is normal? Like, is this supposed to be normal? Um, Turns out, yes, there's a large variation of normal. But the experiences that I was having were not necessarily normal, right? Nine to ten days, so heavy that, you know, it was all over the Seton Science class. Oh, my gosh, you guys. All right. This is what we're sharing today. Um, And my cycles being really far apart and really uncomfortable that first day. These, These are not necessarily normal per se. Yes, it does. It takes some time for our cycles to regulate when we first get our period, but I knew that this didn't seem like what my friends had going on. Because at that point, I only had one or two friends who had gotten their period, and then they kind of started to get it as they as we got a little bit older. And so I remember talking to them about it and just, you know, like a little bit here and there, because I still kind of felt a little bit of that like secrecy or that little bit of shame around it. But I remember the ones I talked to were like, oh yeah, it's just like, you know, three days, sometimes four. It's not too bad. And I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) It's horrible. It's the worst ever. And that was kind of how I lived until I... And it evened out a little bit, a tiny bit, but not a ton. Um, But I would literally say no to going out with my friends, to sleepovers, to events, because I was so nervous that I would have an experience, another embarrassing experience, because it was so, it was just so horrible for those first several years. And then when I was 16 was the point where I really, really started um, focusing on my nutrition um, and not in a way that was healthy because I was 16 and I didn't know very much about nutrition at the time. And so I was eating very, very little and exercising a ton um, at the time on top of training to get my black belt. So at the tail end of training to get my black belt, Uh, I I started running and I started going to the gym and I really, I was exercising oftentimes in the morning and then after school, I would go to the gym. As soon as I got my license, I would go to the local Y after school. And then um, at one point I did lacrosse as well um, for a short period of time. I was not very good. Um, (laughs) And so I would, I would have some sort of, I would do some sort of exercise pretty often. And this very rapidly turned into an eating disorder. Um, And I don't think my family recognized it right away because, you know, the weight came off kind of slowly to start. Um, That was something else that I didn't mention that when I was 11, I like just before my period started, which by the way, when I share this with you guys, it is very normal. And I think, I think it was Julie Duffy Dillon when we were talking about PCOS, um, 
I might be wrong, but we talked about like when when girls first start their cycle or like around that year, it's normal for them to gain up to 40 pounds because our bodies are preparing to be able to get pregnant. And so we need those extra fat stores in order to nourish a baby. We need to add, like that. This is very normal that our bodies are meant to gain weight. But I went from being a kid who was, you know, just kind of like an average sized kid um never kind of thinking about my weight to kind of a little bit you know chubby so to speak by society's standards um I wouldn't say I was overweight at the time that didn't happen until um kind of high school and I started binge eating but yeah I definitely gained a ton of weight when I was kind of like 11 to 12 which just added to my feelings of shame around the fact that I felt like I had developed early in some ways but then also did not develop early in other ways um like I did not have big boobs and that was something that I was made fun of for by a couple of the you know kids in my class who would bully me and that was really tough and it was around that time I want to say I was it was when we moved back into our house so I was probably around 12 or 13 when I started kind of mini binges after school. So I'm sorry, I kind of went forward and now I'm backing up a little bit. But to put things into context, I struggled with with some form of binge eating. And I don't even like to call it binge eating necessarily because I did actually struggle with binge eating disorder later on in my story. Um, but they were like mini binges that I would come home from school after having a hard day. Um, I was bullied a lot, like I mentioned, during that time, kind of that middle school time. And when I say middle school, so our middle school was grades five through eight, and then high school started in um, grade nine. And I don't know why I'm saying it like that. We say ninth grade. We don't say grade nine, but my husband's Canadian, so (laughs) apparently I've adopted that way of saying it. So I would come home from school and I would eat gobs and gobs of food to make myself feel better. And it wasn't to the point of like being super, super uncomfortable. Um, I I definitely, I hit it a little bit. Um, There was definitely some secrecy to it because my mom usually wasn't there to see the amount of food that I would eat. Um, But we're talking like half a carton of ice cream. Like we're talking entire sleeves of Oreos or Ritz crackers with cream cheese and just a lot. And I know that I was doing it specifically to make myself feel better. Like it was a food makes me feel good. School's hard. Friends are hard. So I'm going to eat a lot. So I gained a significant amount of weight during that period of time. So I gained a ton of weight just kind of, and I say a ton, I'm not giving pounds to anything uh, because I don't actually know or remember, but I know that there was a jump kind of right before I got my period or around that time I got my period. And then with the overeating, like this is beyond hunger. This is way beyond just like a little afternoon snack that I was hungry. It was it was a lot. And so I did become uh, overweight for my size according to to medical standards. Um, but I was definitely bigger. I'm only five feet tall. Uh, I, I was bigger than I am now um, because I, I wasn't in a place of honoring my body. I was I was eating emotionally is what I was doing. Um, but it was it was definitely beyond beyond what my body needed. 
And so I had gained a pretty significant amount of weight. And so then when I was 16, I was trying to lose that weight. Um, I think I mentioned in my, I think it was, it was episode, I can't even remember now, two or three when I, when I share my story of finding balance, um, at least, at least at the time because my story has continued over the last couple of years since this podcast has started. But when I when I shared that initially, um, you know, I shared that I had received some compliments from people when I had accidentally lost a little bit of weight at the beginning of my black belt training. I'd been a martial artist for almost a decade, and I was doing, um, I was training to become a black belt. And just the extra exercise I was doing, just I lost some weight without trying, without doing anything. But those compliments really spiraled me into this place of, and it wasn't their fault. I don't blame the people who gave me the compliments. Um, they were trying to be nice, right? But it just goes to show how comments on people's bodies can really, can be really, really impactful, especially for a young teen who is just who has struggled with bullying and who is searching for worthiness and that made me feel like that was what I needed to do to be accepted and to be worthy and so from there I spiraled into a full-blown eating disorder very quickly um so I would do things like the master cleanse and I remember I had this really great guidance counselor. Um, actually, he wasn't a he wasn't a guidance counselor. He was a gym teacher, but he was our he was our homeroom teacher, and he was just this super nice guy. And he had a daughter about our age too. And I remember my friend and I going on the master cleanse. If any of you who don't know what it is, um, don't do it. But if you want to look it up, it's this disgusting concoction that you drink and you don't eat any food. <laughs> um, not healthy. But we did the master cleanse, and I remember him kind of sitting us down and being like, why are you doing this? Like, there are healthier ways to take care of your body. He didn't put it that way, but he was, you know, he was just kind of curious and wanted to make sure we weren't doing anything dangerous. And uh, we were, and um, it was one of those things that kind of kick-started my eating disorder, realizing that, oh my gosh, I can go, like almost a whole day without eating. And if I do that, maybe I'll lose weight. And terrible, terrible, this is not healthy or not balanced. So just, I, I'm sure most of you listening understand this, um, but it is it is not the way to go about losing weight. And it, it spiraled me into an eating disorder. And so in all that, um, my little tangent, I just went on. The eating disorder um, made my period stop pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and so at that point, I was kind of afraid to tell my mom that I had lost my period because I think at that point she, I figured that she would know that there was a problem if I told her that I had lost my period. So what I told her, I believe, and I should have checked with her before because I don't think I told her that I lost it. Oh, I did. Okay. Okay. I remember I told her that I thought that my exercise had made me lose my period, but it had been a few months. And when I actually went to the doctor to get, I went to tell her that I lost my period. I was, I think it was my first cry for help. Like somebody help me. I feel like I'm not, I'm like what I'm doing is not taking care of myself, but I didn't know what to say. So I went and she was very concerned about how quickly I had lost weight. And I think I was 17 at the time. And it had been almost two years that I hadn't had a cycle. 
And um, a lot of this was, you know, over over exercising and, and under eating. But then I you know, remember they had also been irregular anyway. And so she put me on birth control. And that helped to regulate my cycles because I was having these breakthrough bleeds, which is what it is when you are on the pill. It's not a true period that your body is creating. It is it is the hormones stimulating your body to have this breakthrough bleed once a month, which is, you know, all right, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it's better one way or another. But we thought that it was better that I have one than that I don't. Um, so I was on birth control from ages, like, I want to say I was either 16 or 17, but I know that it had been almost a couple years that I had lost my period. So it was probably, I was about 17 until I was about 21. So I got married when I, like the week after I turned 21. And this was during a time where I had, I graduated from culinary school that September And I dove into an internship with a holistic nutritionist um, who is actually going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks, which is just so full circle and exciting. Um, So I started interning for her the next spring um, and then eventually turned into her kitchen manager for a period of time. But during that, I started to learn about holistic nutrition. And then eventually I went through her culinary nutrition program and I got several health coach certifications. So I started to learn more and more as as I, you know, obviously continued to get older. Um, but the more I started to learn about holistic nutrition, the more I realized that there's more to taking care of ourselves than calories. Um, because at that point, so I'm not going to talk a ton about my eating disorder journey because I've already talked about that, but you know, I, I struggled with my eating disorder for about four years. And then I really recovered from it and basically like jumped into dating my now husband. And we moved up to Canada just a couple years later. I mean, he moved up after school and um, I followed shortly after um, I finished school. And so we, I had really only been in this quote unquote kind of normal place with food for a couple years. And I still had the mindset of like, what's important about our health is calories in, calories out. As long as you're getting vitamins, minerals, you're fine. And so I started learning that there's so much more, that it's not just about the macronutrients. The micronutrients are really powerful. And there are things that are important like gut health and hormone health. And I remember there was a seminar that they did at the the cooking studio that she had at the time with these ladies called the Red Tent Sisters. And I'm not sure if they're still around, but they are like advocates for female health. And they talked about like the detriments of birth control. And I had no idea. I just that, you know, taking synthetic hormones could have negative effects on my body. At that point, my husband and I were still early on in our marriage and we didn't desire to have kids um, actually at all at the time. We hadn't really even started to entertain the idea of having kids or any kids, not just a kid, but any kids at all. And so I told him I wanted to go off birth control and see what would happen with my body. And he was like, (laughs) he was a little hesitant, but you know, we were married and we knew that if I did get pregnant, it wouldn't be 
the end of the world. Um, and that what was most important is that I felt better because I, I wasn't feeling great. And um, I really wanted to know what my body was like without being on birth control. And when I say I wasn't feeling very great, I've talked about my kind of gut health journey before. And um, this was during a time where I was experiencing a lot of experiencing a lot of gut health issues and the nutritionist I was seeing recommended, um, you know, that or mentioned that hormones might play a role, um, which they Spoiler alert, they definitely, they definitely do. Um, Or gut health definitely plays a role in hormone health. So when I went off the birth control pill, a few months later, I got my first period, like my first quote unquote normal period again after being on the pill. And it was exactly as bad as it had been. I had super irregular cycles. I had bad PMS the first couple of days before, like way worse than I ever had imagined it was in the past. And um, I also gained some weight, which was also really uncomfortable because I had struggled so much with my weight in the past um, or with my body image in the past. And I had never really honestly done the, the work of working on my body image. I had healed my body post-eating disorder, but I had not healed my mindset. And that is why I ended up relapsing in my eating disorder several years later because I hadn't actually done that really important mindset work. <laughs> my throat was getting really dry. It is it is terrible, terrible the pollen here right now. My allergies have not been great. So anyway, I uh, at, during that time, like I mentioned, I was working with a clinical nutritionist to get my gut balanced um, and He's incredible, um, and I'd love to have him on the podcast at some point um, because he's done some really incredible things in the functional nutrition world, Um, but he really helped me to get my gut health in balance and also started to educate me on some hormone health too, and doing uh, working with him really helped me to start to regulate my cycles a little bit more, and I also was seeing a naturopath, so we wanted to have a naturopathic um, kind of family doctor. And so my husband and I went to see this naturopath and she did my blood work and she told me that I had super low progesterone. And at the time, this is a couple years later now, a year later, I'm trying to think of timelines. I think it was, it was sooner than I think, than I, than I thought. As I was learning about my hormones, as I was healing my gut, and as I was starting to feel better, we started to entertain the idea of having a baby is what happened. And I can't even tell you, it was probably like a year or two after this. Um, So we go to see this naturopath and she tells me that my progesterone is super, super low and that if I wanted to get pregnant, I needed to work on it to sustain a healthy pregnancy because low progesterone can result in a pregnancy not sticking, can result in miscarriage because your body can't create what it needs to in order to sustain the pregnancy. And one of those things is the progesterone plays a role in building the placenta. Um, During this time, during the time of not being on birth control, um, we weren't trying to have a baby. um, But I do believe that I had a missed miscarriage during that time. Um, I had what was like the most painful period of my life, um, along with other symptoms that indicate that it was a missed miscarriage, um, cause I had felt some potential pregnancy symptoms, but I had, I had bought a test, but 
the test was kind of inconclusive. It was like very faint. And then it was like a day or two after that I had had these symptoms. Um, When I went to the midwives when I was pregnant with Sage, my first daughter, they told me it didn't count because it was not um, like I didn't go to a doctor or a midwife. So there's no way of knowing if I was actually pregnant and if I did have a missed miscarriage or it was just like a really terrible cycle. Um, but it was it was worse than anything I had experienced before. Um, but it makes sense that if that had happened, my body wasn't it wasn't ready to get pregnant because I my hormones were very, very imbalanced. But I <laughs> the mindset that I had was. I want to get pregnant as soon as possible. So I was doing some things to kind of boost my fertility. There were some supplements that she had given me, and she had some recommendations for low progesterone, um, for raising my progesterone. But we were probably seeing her for, oh my gosh, like a couple of months. So we had only seen her. I think we were seeing her like every two weeks when I actually got pregnant. Um And it wasn't intentional. We were kind of in that phase of not not trying. So we weren't intentionally trying, but we had suspected because I had all of those hormone imbalances that we had already determined, like, okay, your hormones are a bit off and it seems like they have been for several years. We thought it was going to take me a lot longer to get pregnant. And I remember um, it was it was kind of funny finding out, too, because I we had gone I, I, I knew I was pregnant, like I had some symptoms and we had gone to a friend's birthday party at a yacht club. And I remember really wanting to order a beer, but also knowing that I wanted to test the next morning and thinking I might be pregnant. And so I ordered a half beer and I had it and we enjoyed the friend's birthday and whatever. And the next morning. I tested and it was positive and I remember like deciding how I was going to tell Nick and getting, you know, I'm being like super shaky and nervous about um, telling him and then all of a sudden realizing I had had a half a beer the night before and freaking out and thinking I had like killed my baby. So I immediately emailed the naturopath and she was like so excited for me and she was like, you're fine, like you haven't killed your baby, but you should probably call an OB or a midwife um, and make an appointment. So I did. And so I called the local midwife office um, and I thankfully um, was able to get an appointment pretty quickly Um, in Ontario where I was at the time. The midwife system is part of the healthcare system, which is really incredible. You can choose an OB or a midwife, whatever works for you and whatever you're comfortable with, and it's all covered um, in their universal healthcare. So, but it does sometimes take a little bit longer because they're in pretty high demand. So I had two midwives that I was working with specifically in this practice and I would see them on and off. And I was, I did actually end up having one of them at my birth with me, um, who wasn't even the one that I was hoping to have at my birth with me. Cause one of them, as I will share my pregnancy was a really tough experience and she was a little bit more nervous and she made me very nervous. (laughs) And so I'm kind of sad. I didn't, I didn't have the second midwife, uh, at my birth, but it all turned out well. But it was a really, really hard pregnancy. Um, And I don't think I associated the fact that like I had had this hormone testing done ahead of time that indicated that I had some imbalances. And right from the get-go, it was difficult. So I had kind of the normal 
morning sickness. Thankfully, I um I've never I've never been I've never done well with vomiting, so I didn't thankfully do a lot of that um, when it came to morning sickness. Um, and maybe I'll do an episode on kind of like pregnancy and and birth in the future when we do our women's health series. Um, I won't go into it too much, but I kind of had those that normal experience kind of right in the beginning. But it was probably about halfway through, about the 20-week mark, where they started noticing that my blood pressure was staying high and it wasn't coming down at appointments. And they started getting a little bit nervous about my blood pressure. And I was trying to do everything I could to keep my blood pressure down, which was just making me more anxious. <laughs> um, so like I would like smell lavender essential oil and take magnesium and like hope that I could keep it down, um, but it definitely stayed pretty high, and I was diagnosed with gestational hypertension, and they really wanted to put me on medication, but I was like, at that point in my life, I was not, I did not want to take medication. And looking back, I think with my mindset now, I probably would have taken it just to, just to try and take care of myself the best way I can. There's nothing wrong with medication if you need it. Um, you know, everyone has different opinions on that. But at that point, I was like, no, no medication. I'm doing this all natural. And it stressed me out a ton. And I was about, I want to say 26 or 28 weeks. I can't remember when they test. It was like 26 or 28 weeks. And I was actually, um, at the time, I had always worked in the summertime because my husband's a sailor and he is gone most of the summertime. And I was actually living in Rhode Island where we are now um, working at a yacht club with I was living with my parents for the summer um, just to kind of be around family while I was pregnant and working and my husband was gone most of the time. So I was home and I had I had gone back to Toronto for all of my appointments. At this point, the appointments were only once a month. So it wasn't a huge deal to fly home once a month for my appointments. And I had fl- flown home and I had done my gestational diabetes test when I was uh, in in Toronto. And they were trying to reach me because I had had my Canadian phone off and I had a U.S. phone on. Um, it, it was a couple weeks before they could reach me. I just assumed I was fine. And they uh, finally got a hold of me a couple weeks later and they were like, you need to come into the office now. Like you have gestational diabetes. Your results were super high. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I had just assumed that I was young. I was 24, uh, not even 24 or almost 24. And I was healthy for the most part, like, yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, I had some hormone imbalances, but overall, I'm young and healthy, right? So um, this is going to be fine. I knew that I had had some of the blood pressure issues, but I kind of chalked that up to nervousness. I do have white coat syndrome. Like, my blood pressure will always be high when I go into any medical facility. Um, I had some, I had a traumatic experience when I was really young, and I think that, like, that is my first memory of being in a hospital, and I think that experience is equated to this kind of white coat syndrome that I have. But in any case, <laughs> my blood pressure is always high and then it goes down as I sit. That's typical for me. So I was just like, oh, maybe they just haven't tested it enough, whatever. So I didn't really chalk that up to being anything. Um, and these are not always related, by the way. Um, 
one does not equal the other. I just happen to have both gestational hypertension and gestational diabetes. Uh, so I came back to Toronto and I needed to go through like the gestational diabetes training and learn how to take my my blood sugar. And all of these things were super fascinating to me. Having a background in nutrition, I, I didn't know a ton about gestational diabetes. I learned about it in my life cycle nutrition class. But I didn't know a ton about it. And I, I definitely felt a lot of shame around it. I felt like I had done something wrong. I was like, oh my gosh, I've had too much lemonade or too much mac and cheese. Those were my two cravings. <laughs> I was just overthinking absolutely everything I had done the whole pregnancy. And I felt like I was, I, I felt like I had done something wrong. Um, and now I know enough to know that, you know, this is just part of my hormone imbalance story, that my blood sugar is something that has been off for a very long time. And it's something that I will always have to pay attention to um, because I am at higher risk for diabetes, um, pre-diabetes, and I have family history of diabetes as well, um, both type 1 and type 2. So this is something that if I had kind of reasonably thought about it then, it, it made sense, but I didn't, I wasn't thinking about it reasonably and I had just assumed that I was going to be quote unquote fine. Um and so I did everything that I was supposed to. Um, it was actually it was it was a really it was a really tough part of my pregnancy that third trimester because I was very very obsessed with making sure that my blood sugar was okay for the rest of my pregnancy. Um, and it was fine. I managed it without medication. I was able to meet with the you know the nutritionist at the hospital every week and get my blood sugars um, or my like charts that I had written up kind of red and everything looked good and it was fine and that wasn't really a big deal. I was able to manage it. But it was a red flag for sure that I was 24 and generally healthy and I had gestational diabetes. And that's not always a red flag, but for the other symptoms that I mentioned in the past, it was definitely a red flag. And no one ever mentioned to me that, hey, like having imbalanced blood sugar could be an indicator, along with these other symptoms, that you might have something else going on. So I have promised that I'll share my birth story at some point in the future, both my birth stories, because they're starkly different. Um, but birth with Sage was really hard. Uh, and thankfully I, I was very, very close to having a C-section, but I made it through and I had just given birth to her. And at the time I had wanted to get my placenta encapsulated because I heard that it was helpful for hormone balance. And since remember, I was interested in hormone balance. I wanted to get my placenta encapsulated. And so we had it all set up. We had like given the deposit, we had a cooler, we had everything ready to go to take my placenta home. And like we had signed off on it, things like that. And then I remember I had just given birth to her and she was like lying on my chest and it was time to birth the placenta and I had had an epidural so I didn't feel it. And I was like, I said to my husband, I was like, make sure they save the placenta. And he looked at me and the look on his face, he just shook his head. And I was like, what? Why? And he's like, they can't. And they're like, yeah, we have to send this to pathology. And I was like, What? what do you mean pathology? Like, what is happening? So, I mean, I was super tired. I had been awake for basically 24 hours at this point, other than like a couple hours nap once I had gotten the epidural. And so I was out of it. And I remember asking him the next day, I'm like, were they able to save it? And he's like, no, Chris, they did not save it. It came out in pieces. 
and it was black. So I am not a smoker. Uh, I don't do drugs. I didn't drink while I was pregnant. I was not taking in, I wasn't around toxic substances. I was not taking in any toxins that could have caused that. And we never did get the results from pathology, but I know that those things are true. Um, The likelihood of what happened was that my progesterone levels were really, really low. And what happened was they were only able to sustain the placenta for so long, and the placenta started to degrade. Um, And... Towards the end of my pregnancy, I had been going back every single week for weight tests with Sage um, and stress tests and all that. They were very, very worried that she had stopped growing. Um, And I was actually – she was born – my water spontaneously broke like the day I turned 37 weeks. And I had gone to the midwife office that day and they were like, yeah, you don't look like you're going to go into labor at any point soon. And I was like, okay. Um, But it was literally the day I turned 37 weeks and she was like, I need to come out. And thankfully she did because she didn't have a food source anymore. Um, So she's my little miracle baby because she, I'm so thankful that my body was like, nope, it's time to get her out because otherwise she she wouldn't have been able to survive in there much longer. Um, so our human bodies are incredible, right? Our female well, human bodies are incredible, but our female bodies are incredible, right? So that was that was what happened with that. Um, of course, I didn't get working on my hormones after that because I had had a newborn and a baby, and I was just trying to do what I needed to do to survive and to take care of her. Um, My cycle didn't come back until she was over a year old. Um, I was breastfeeding several times a day, and I did get it back for a few months, but then was the point where I was really relapsing in my eating disorder, and I hadn't really realized it at the time. Um, Again, I talk about this in in my story to Finding Balance, but I was in this place of over-exercising and under-eating again and trying to, you know, lose the baby weight and then beyond. I wanted to compete in a fitness competition. And um, this wasn't immediate. This actually went on for several years. I didn't compete in the fitness competition until she was two. Uh, But I had lost my period again very quickly because I was over-exercising and under-eating and not taking care of myself. And it's the first thing that goes when my body is under stress. It's something that I've learned over time. So flash forward a couple years, I after I did my fitness competition, my cycle had been gone for, oh my gosh, probably over a year at that point. And I thought that once I had, was done with the fitness competition and I started eating again, that started eating again. I was eating. I was just very much in a deficit. I was not eating enough at all. So I remember wanting to, like, telling my midwife. um, So we are now back in the U.S. in this story. I didn't mention that. But I had, different, I had a different midwife. I have a nurse midwife here in the U.S. who works um, as my kind of um, obstetrics practitioner as well. She's like, oh, my gosh, I love her so much. Like, I want to just go to coffee with her because she is, like, the cutest and the sweetest lady ever. I love her. 
love you, Lori. Uh, my sister has her as her um, practitioner as well. And we just we love her. Very sad that she wasn't at the birth of my second daughter, but she, you know, wasn't on call. <laughs> but she I told her um, that my cycle had gone away. And, you know, she was like, I think you need to gain some weight like it. You're not in, you know, the optimal place for your body. Like you might need to exercise a little bit less. And I was like, what? And I, I did. Um end up exercising a lot less and eating a lot more when I had a massive adrenal crash about a month after my fitness competition. Something else I talk about in my story. But uh, my body basically shut down. Um, the diagnosis was just chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, but your adrenals um, are what produce your stress hormones, right? Your cortisol and your adrenaline. And my test showed that just everything tanked. Basically, I had been in a period of stress for so long, my body couldn't handle it anymore. And I went to bed one night feeling good. And I woke up the next morning, like ready to do a workout. And I could not even lift a 10 pound weight off the floor. My fatigue was, I can't even describe how terrible it was. And I was falling asleep, sitting up, taking care of my two-year-old. It was terrible. And I like immediately regretted every decision I had made the last couple of years. Um, I knew that I wasn't treating my body well. I knew that I had relapsed in my eating disorder and I was ready to make a change. And that was actually when I discovered intuitive eating. And I started exploring intuitive eating and started eating more. And I went basically no exercise for a period of almost six months. Um, I was walking, but that was basically it, which was hard um, because I was also a fitness instructor. So I was trying to to teach classes without doing too much because I couldn't. And I didn't want people to know that I was going through this because – I I was at that point working as a health and fitness coach and I wanted people to think of me as the picture of health and there I was like fit from an outsider's perspective from looking at me and absolutely a mess on the inside and I felt completely terrible. So my cycle still didn't come back after several months of this as I started to feel better the the main portion of my healing was probably about six months. Um, and I, you know, was working with my, my doctor and, um, my nurse midwife. And I was also working with a naturopath and we did some blood tests. And interestingly enough, the first two practitioners, I won't say which of the first two practitioners, cause I'm just going to leave it at that. I was also seeing a nutritionist at the time because I was trying to get my body back into balance. So three of those practitioners looked at my test results and said, yeah, you're a little low here and a little high here, but I mean, there's not much we can do about it. The nutritionist had a couple suggestions about my progesterone, which was in the tank again. Um, my progesterone was so low, there is no possible way that I would have been able to sustain a pregnancy during that time. It was incredibly low. And so I've come to find out my progesterone is uh, naturally very low and my estrogen higher. So that progesterone estrogen ratio um, is very, for me, it's very sensitive. Um, and actually, Dr. Heather Rhodes talks about PCOS, which 
I'll share in just a second, was what I ended up being diagnosed with. Um, but that your hormones are just basically extra sensitive. Like that is really the definition of PCOS is you have extra sensitive hormones. So my blood test results come back. And when I look at them, being someone who is not a doctor or a naturopath, and yes, I had nutrition background, but I wasn't trained in, um, I could, I could, I knew what the lab values meant, but I wasn't, you know, trained to interpret them and in that way, right? Um, the training that I had was primarily focused on things like gut health and micronutrients and general health in that way. Um, and then, of course, I had fitness nutrition training, which really was very, very little on, on these type of things. So I knew about it. Um, I knew enough to look at my test results and go, oh, my gosh, my testosterone levels. So what is supposed to be that male hormone that females still have, but it was five times the amount that was within the normal range for a premenopausal woman of my age. I was 26. And my DHEA was like three times the normal amount for a woman of my age, which could have been part of it could have been stress. Um, but the when when the doctor looked at the lab results, she was like, have you been taking DHEA during your fitness competition or testosterone? I was like, no, I'm not like, I'm not taking steroids. And she was like, well, it this is indicative of exogenous testosterone and DHEA. And it almost felt like she was blaming me and telling me that I must be doping. I'm like, no, I was not taking any. And I I looked, I was so nervous. I was looking at all my supplements. I'm like, oh my gosh, did I take something that had these in it? And no, all my supplements were NSF. Like I I was not taking and I, none of them had DHEA in them. So I, it was just the fact that my body was the way that it is. <laughs> and it was in a state of, you know, a PCOS flare up. So my progesterone was super low. Uh, two of my estrogens were normal because you have three different types of estrogen and one of them was high. But the ratio was really, really off. So my estrogen levels, um, the ratio of my estrogen and my progesterone was really, really off. I had way, way higher estrogen than I did progesterone. Um, so at this point in time, I wanted to have a second baby. We wanted to get pregnant again. And at this point, we were told that it was basically impossible with my progesterone levels. And then I really needed to get things back into balance. Um, so I started working with an incredible naturopath who really helped me to get my hormones back into balance. And she put me on um, – she gave me a couple suggestions that were really helpful. She put me on a supplement regimen um, that was crazy expensive. And honestly, I feel like it might have been a bit excessive. I did need a lot of help during that time. But for the amount that I was spending, we're talking like $500 a month on supplements. For the first three months, it was helpful because it did get things back into balance pretty quickly. Um, but I couldn't financially sustain that. It was it was a lot, right? That's like a studio apartment. Okay, maybe not in 2021, but it was back in. Our first studio apartment was like 600 bucks a month. <laughs> so yeah, that's a, that's a lot. It was a lot of money on supplements. Um, so we wanted to get me healthy again, but it was also... It was also a lot. And so I ended up taking the supplements that she recommended for a few months and then really dialing it back 
because I just I couldn't financially sustain it. But she was really helpful in the very beginning to help me with a couple main things. Um, The biggest thing was getting my blood sugar back into balance because I was basically living off of carbs during my fitness training. And first and foremost, before I say this, before I talk about carbs, I feel like I need to come on and I need to like have a stance (laughs) about carbs. You guys, we need protein, we need fats, we need carbs, and we also need micronutrients. Our body needs all types of nutrients. Everyone's balance is different. I do not believe in no anything. (laughs) Um, I believe that we all need a different balance and that is unique to us, but that we do all need protein, carbs, and fats. And so I am not for extremes. Um, But I was at the extreme where I was living off of carbs and that was because I was on a kind of macros program. Um, For those of you who don't know, I was counting my macronutrients, so my protein, carbs, and fats. And protein and carbs have less calories per gram, does not make them better or worse. Remember, we need all of them, but they have less calories per gram than fat does. So um, fat has more than double calories per gram. So fat is often demonized in the macros community because it takes up more of our macros. I wish you could see me kind of like rolling my eyes over here because no, we don't need as much fat as we do carbs and protein in a day because it is more calorie dense. We still need it. It's still important for us. Um, So I was eating basically as little fat as possible and eating a lot of carbs and some protein in there too. Um, but the the balance was just not there. I was just eating a lot of carbs kind of to fill in and to also keep my energy levels up throughout the day. So basically I was on this crazy carb roller coaster where I would um, eat a lot every couple of hours and go like up and down and up and down and up and down. And I wasn't really considering the fact that like I had had blood sugar issues in the past. I was only thinking about changing my body. I wasn't thinking about the actual effect, the things that I was doing were having on my body. And at this point, I had already started exploring intuitive eating. So I wasn't dieting per se. I wasn't counting my, I don't think I was still counting my macros. That was like the last thing to go. I was still counting my macros for a long time. I was trying to eat intuitively, but still track my macros to make sure I was on track. I'm sure many of you who have explored the intuitive eating world have been in a similar place. If you tracked macros, it's very hard once you get into that kind of phase. Um, It took me a while to kind of move away from that and realize that that is not the end all be all. It's, there's so much more to that. And um, so I was on this like blood sugar roller coaster. So she was like, all right, listen, Needed another water break. I have been talking for almost, no, for over an hour. Wow. Okay, so she said, basically, I don't need you counting, tracking, measuring, obsessing over this. I don't want you to obsess over this. I want blood sugar balance to become essentially second nature to you. And so I I knew from school years ago that protein was important for blood sugar balance. And I had also understood from having gestational diabetes what it looked like when your blood sugar was imbalanced. Um, So I started just being more conscious about making sure that I was eating protein every time I had carb-rich foods. Um, And for a while, I did track my blood sugar. I don't think this is necessary for everyone. Um, But I am glad I did because it was very, very off. My fasting blood sugar was off, which we already knew from blood tests. Um, It was higher than it should have been um, for a healthy 26-year-old, almost pre-diabetes level. 
like very like borderline prediabetes. And again, like I'm a healthy and fit 26 year old to remember. And so, but, but not healthy at the same time, right? I say healthy because, you know, I didn't have any major chronic health conditions, but my blood results were not showing that I was healthy. And I was also not treating my body really well. I was over-exercising. I was under-eating. I was focusing only on macronutrients and not on food that was actually nourishing my body, which was so interesting because I had been in this place of really being really intentional about eating nutrient-dense foods for a long time when I was studying holistic nutrition. And then I went like, as soon as I had that baby and I felt like I needed to change my body, it was right back to the macros. And gosh, you guys, I I hope all of you listening understand how important it is to eat based on how you feel and nourishing your body instead of just focusing on macronutrients because balance is important. Blood sugar balance is a huge part of my story um, and it's important for all of us for many reasons. It Balancing our meals helps to balance our energy throughout the day because we're not having those blood sugar spikes and drops. It helps to balance our focus and to feel focused throughout the day and to not have brain fog. It helps to balance our mood when we have blood sugar spikes and drops. It affects our mood. Um, it affects our cravings. We don't have crazy cravings when we're not and we avoid being hangry when our blood sugar is balanced. There are so many benefits to blood sugar balance, and I talk all about this in Balanced Eating Essentials um, because I talk about the seven essential habits of balanced eaters, and one of them is learning how to balance your plate, and the reason why we do this is to balance our blood sugar. And so a couple things that helped me were what she, the terms she used was don't eat naked carbs, <laughs> which I I love, um, and it does seem like a rule, right? Um, but it's been one that's that hasn't felt too difficult for me because it just became something that was just a practice, right? So um, typically, if I'm going to eat something that has carbs in it, I'm not just going to eat a bowl of rice by itself or an apple or a banana by itself. I'm going to have the apple or banana with peanut butter or almond butter or the rice is going to be a part of a meal. I don't know why I would just eat. You know what? I wouldn't just eat rice by itself, but I would eat plain rice cakes because they were only carbs and so they were low calorie. Remember those uh, low calorie, low fat days? Yep rice cakes, gross. Um, I would eat rice cakes with fat-free strawberry cream cheese on them, and that would be like my dessert at night. Oh, goodness, I love intuitive eating. <laughs> Unless you really love that, I didn't. I just wanted something sweet, and that's all I would allow myself to have. So not cool. This is not during my my hormone healing phase. This was way before when I was counting macros. So she taught me, you know, don't eat naked carbs. So just make sure that you're eating some protein in your fat with your carbs and get lots of fiber. And so that was my focus. You know, my focus was just eating more vegetables. It was adding. It was eating more vegetables and more protein. Those are my two main objectives. And when I made that switch, when I switched to half my plate is vegetables about, you know, it... I was not looking for perfection. Remember, I was still working on learning about intuitive eating, but also in this place of healing my hormones. And you guys have heard me talk about the fact that I love the intuitive eating world, but there are some things about it that are really difficult for me because sometimes it feels like it shuns health and doing what feels right for us. And sometimes we need to be in these phases of taking care of our health. And sometimes that means we do need to be a little bit more conscious about what we're eating. Intuitive eating isn't just about eating what we want in the moment. It's also about learning what feels good for us and doing what we need to in order to feel good. And sometimes it's being in this phase of healing. And that's the phase that I was in. Um, 
And honestly, when I really dove into the intuitive eating world more deeply after I had, which I'll talk about, but after I had my second daughter, I lost a lot of this balance. And that is why I ended up writing Balanced Eating Essentials, you know, two years later, because I was like, you guys, we can have balance. We can listen to our intuition. We can take care of our bodies. And we we don't need to be obsessive about it. There's a middle ground because I lost that and I started feeling horrible again and a bunch of my symptoms started to come back. Um, and so that was, you know, that's that's I'm fast forwarding a lot there. Um, but I'm going to get off my soapbox and just share with you. So. She really helped me over a period of about six months get my hormones back into balance. Um, and number one was blood sugar balance. Um, a few of the supplements that have helped me. Now, once again, not a doctor, not a naturopath. Um, and though I do have training in nutrition, um, I, I don't help clients with hormone balance because I don't believe that's my scope of practice. Um, and you're also not my client. So I recommend you talk to your, or likely not my client, because um, I'm not taking clients right now. So I recommend that you talk to your practitioner before you make any changes. Okay, so I'm going to mention a couple things just because they might be something you want to bring up with your practitioner. Because like I said, she had me on this crazy intense protocol. Um for a few months and then I dialed back first and foremost for finances but also because I was like I don't want to be taking like 20 supplements a day what can we do for less money and that's most effective so some of the things that helped me that you might want to look into um I didn't even mention the actual PCOS diagnosis you guys (laughs) in all this as I was working with her one of my practitioners and then the others followed after the one practitioner was like It looks like you have PCOS. And I'm like, what is that? I've heard of it, but can you explain it? And she was like, well, basically, it's polycystic ovarian syndrome. And the main diagnostic criteria is either cysts on the ovaries, which I had a couple, but none of them were big or crazy. And so we didn't think of anything of it. Um, And I I had like a transvaginal ultrasound that confirmed that. Cysts on the ovaries, um, blood sugar imbalance, um, being overweight or obese, which I wasn't. Um, so that was basically, unfortunately, two of the practitioners looked at me and were like, you can't have PCOS because you're not overweight. And that just, it upsets me so much because they told me that there was nothing I could do because the only treatment for PCOS was either to go on medication, to go on like metformin and balance your blood sugar in that way or to lose weight. And because I didn't need to do either of those things, so they thought, um, then there wasn't anything I could do. So basically it was like, yeah, it looks like you've got a couple cysts and your testosterone. The other thing is that your male to female hormone ratio is off um, and irregular cycles as well. So you just need like two or three diagnostic of the diagnostic criteria. And I checked basically all of them off except for the size of my body, um, which really made them overlook me for a long time. Um, And PCOS is a syndrome. And so all a syndrome is is a combination of symptoms that when they go together, they form a syndrome. So I love the way Dr. Heather Rhodes talks about it. She talks about it in a way of – she compares it to acne. So, um, like, you know, you – If you are somebody, you might be somebody who's prone to acne, but you don't always have acne. For most people, they don't. It kind of comes and goes. It flares up and um, it kind of ebbs and flows. And that's very much been my experience with PCOS. That was probably the biggest period of time where I could actually see in the blood test results. I'd had this crazy adrenal crash. Um, I had gained a ton of weight really rapidly after my fitness competition, which was 
you know, probably my my body's response to the restriction. Um, but all of this to say is that I was diagnosed during that time, and my biggest goals in working with a naturopath were to get my adrenals back in a line to get my cortisol levels back and to get my PCOS under control so I could get my cycle back um, so I could eventually get pregnant again, hopefully get pregnant again. So supplements. Let's go back to the supplements um, because I'm a little all over the place, but hopefully you guys are following. I told you we're just going to have a chat. I've got my coffee here. I'll take another sip. It's cold now in case you're wondering, but that's okay. If we were friends sitting on my couch chatting, my coffee would probably also go cold and I would still drink it. Um, speaking of coffee, we will talk about caffeine in the future. <laughs> but some of the supplements that made the biggest difference for me. Vitex, also known as chastberry, is something that I have taken on and off for years and I notice a significant difference in my hormone balance when I take Vitex. Dim, um, which is also found in cruciferous vegetables. Oh, I can't even tell you what dim stands for. It's capital D, capital I, capital M. Um, but this has been really helpful in my hormone balance as well. Those were probably my top two. If my hormones are off, that is what I go back to because those have made a really big difference in my hormone balance. Um, for progesterone levels, White peony, um, I believe, is a traditional Chinese medicine um, kind of recommendation. But I took white peony extract, which is a flower and literally tastes like a flower. It's gross. But it that was what helped my progesterone to get back to a level where I was able to sustain a pregnancy the second time. Um, that supplement in and of itself Um so Vitex supports progesterone-estrogen balance, but the white peony was really what we noticed when I added that in, got my progesterone levels back. And then I also did, by the way, for any of you wondering, um, I did take exogenous or I, I used a cream, progesterone, um, as recommended by my healthcare practitioners in the early stages of my second pregnancy because my levels were really low. Um, and we wanted to make sure that things were okay. So that's something to discuss with your practitioner too. Um, the two supplements that helped the most with my cortisol levels and stress were the adaptogens ashwagandha and holy basil. Um, I take holy basil still now um, and ashwagandha on and off. When I'm going through periods of, of stress, I take ashwagandha in the morning. It helps with my energy levels. It definitely helps with my stress throughout the day. And holy basil just helps to keep me just kind of generally cool and calm, and it also helps a little bit with sleep. So I take that at nighttime. Um, magnesium, I notice a difference in my anxiety if I don't take magnesium. Um, so right now I'm taking the Ancient Nutrition Magnesium, um, and this is a recommendation that I am comfortable giving for most people. Obviously, check with your practitioner, um, but most of us are deficient in magnesium, and magnesium can make a big difference in our anxiety, and it's it participates in over 300 different actions within the body. Um, so if we're deficient, magnesium is something that a, a lot of us can benefit from. And um, so I like taking that for my anxiety levels. I notice a big difference um, with taking magnesium as well. Um, 
Other things that help. So number one, getting my blood sugar in balance, focusing specifically on fiber and protein. Um, and minimal exercise during this period of time for, like I mentioned, for about six months, I didn't do any cardio other than walking. Um, I took it really, really easy. Eventually, I started adding in some strength training again, or it was first it was yoga, and I started adding in a little bit of strength training, um, but I took it really, really easy. And then also through, um, I took it pretty easy through my second pregnancy as well. I did a little, little bit of running because um, I am a runner and I love to run at the beginning of my second pregnancy, but then I had some pelvic pain. And so that went away pretty quickly. Um, but I was, I was very, very conscious. And I did a, I did a prenatal program. I can't even remember what it's called now, like a strength training program that I did during my pregnancy as well. Um, but I, I definitely, I know for my body that as much as I love to move and I love to exercise, I was a personal trainer and a group fitness instructor for years. I, I need to, for my hormone balance, to be really careful about that, um, to be really just conscious about what is working for my body and what isn't. And as Dr. Heather has taught me, it's important to time the exercise that I do around the different phases of my cycle as well. And that's something I can talk more about in the future um, when I tell you guys kind of about where I am now. Um, and the other thing that's been really helpful, it seems kind of silly, but hydration, it's not silly. We know that we need to hydrate, but hydration and then also making sure that I'm getting enough electrolytes has made a really big difference. I like the Ultima electrolytes. And so especially when I'm doing more running in the summertime, um, I take electrolytes pretty much every day once a day to um to help with my hydration as well so we are we are very long right now <laughs> but you know what let's just quickly talk about the fact that I did I was able to get pregnant with my second daughter um and it was worlds different than my first pregnancy so I told you I was in a period of um healing for about six months and it took us about seven months to get pregnant with her which was hard mentally. And I know that it is not a long time for a lot of people. I know that I have a lot of friends who struggle with infertility. I have friends who struggled with infertility for seven years. So seven months is not a long time for a lot of people. But for me, for, you know, basically blinking and getting pregnant with Sage, I thought that it was going to happen that easily because I had done so much work on intuitive eating and minimal exercise and taking these supplements and balancing my blood sugar. And I was doing all of the things. And um, yeah, I thought I was going to get pregnant right away. And I didn't. And that was hard. Uh, it was a hard season. But I did eventually get pregnant. And my pregnancy was worlds different than the first. I had no gestational diabetes uh, because I learned how to balance my blood sugar. I had no – oh, by the way, um, I did an episode with Lily Nichols on real food for pregnancy. She is absolutely incredible. She also has a book um, on gestational diabetes and pregnancy, and that book helped me to avoid gestational diabetes the second time around. So her book is incredible, and I'll link that in the show notes. Um, I didn't have high blood pressure. It was borderline at times, um, but it was fine. It was fine during labor. Uh, not that there was a lot of time for them to check because I had a crazy, crazy quick labor. My active labor was less than two hours. So that's a story for another day. After I had ran my second daughter, I had a completely different mindset than I did with Sage. After having gone through a relapse in my eating disorder, over-exercising, under-eating, 
this complete adrenal crash, discovering that I that I have PCOS and probably had PCOS my whole life, but you know, it's it comes and goes, right? I was really able to approach postpartum with a sense of gentleness and just wanting to intuitively care for myself and my baby. Um, and though I did struggle a little bit with wanting to lose the baby weight in a certain amount of time, I still didn't weigh myself except at the doctors, and I still have not. Um, I only like accidentally got weighed once <laughs> at the chiropractor in the last year, and I like saw it, and I was like, oh, that's a thing, and, and that was that. Um, but I don't – I didn't even know that she was weighing me. It was on one of those machines where they like uh, – they weigh the different sides of your body to see where you're putting your weight. Interesting. Very interesting. I only had a few pounds different on one side to the other. In case you were wondering, but it was interesting. So I don't weigh myself anymore. That's not a concern for me. I knew that I would fit back in my clothes if that was what my my body – needed. And it's true. I bought bigger sizes for several months. And then eventually I went back to what is now kind of my typical normal size. Um, And I've stayed that way. And I did, you know, I got this incredible coach. You guys might know her. Her name is Paige. (laughs) Many of you have, we've talked in the podcast now um, twice, and she is just such a joy and one of my favorite humans. And she became my coach for over a year. And at the beginning, we worked together on like any of those last bits of kind of diet mindset that I had struggled with and body image issues. And then it evolved into her becoming a more of a, a life business and finance coach, which she does all of those things beautifully, intuitive eating, life coaching, business coaching, body image, money. Um, So you all have to check her out if you haven't over either over on Instagram or she has her coaching program, Aligned Coaching, which I am in if you want to come and hang out with me um, and everyone else because everyone in that coaching is incredible. And of course they are because Paige attracts the most amazing people. Um, So I worked with her for several months, um, but when it comes to my hormones – my hormones came back in a balance pretty pretty easily afterwards. I nursed her for several months. Ren was difficult, difficult when it came to nursing. Um, and we ended up supplementing several months in because I she it was a hard experience and I wasn't able to produce quite enough for her. Um, and that's an experience I'll share about at some point in the future when I talk about pregnancy and birth and breastfeeding and all that jazz. Maybe we'll do a Q&A in a couple months because we're getting towards the end of this season. But maybe next season we'll do a Q&A if you guys are curious about all that jazz. I'm happy to talk about it. Um, so my period came back a little bit sooner. I want to say it was like seven or eight months that it came back. Um, and it was regular for like three years, basically, until a few months ago. Um, 2020 was a crazy year. And at the start of 2021, um, we had some stuff happen in our family. And we have been having some stressful times in our family. And it's not something I'm quite ready to go to really chat about here. Um, and I will in the future, likely talk a little bit about it. Um, But it's been a really stressful time just navigating everything. And in that, my cycle went away. And it 
really or really it was it was super super long and it kind of scared me a little bit because I'm like oh my gosh all of this work that I did to balance my hormones and then my hormones were so were balanced because I was not over exercising and eating enough and taking care of myself and still taking the supplements I knew that felt good and every I was all was doing all of those things but the reality is that I was stressed and my body was under stress. And so I stopped sleeping as well. And that's like a negative feedback loop where I'm not sleeping. And so that affects my progesterone levels. And it is affecting my obviously my stress hormones as well are also affecting my hormones. And so my cycle was off. And I was experiencing the insomnia and then tiredness during the day and then relying on caffeine, which is another stressor to the body. I still love coffee, but Dr. Heather challenged me to go off of caffeine. And this is something that I am working on and I will share about in the future. And um, it just it, it it's, was really a wake up call that um I am not superhuman and that I still do, you know, quote unquote, have PCOS and that it is my hormones are just more sensitive and that it's important to be conscious of what our bodies are telling us. And in this case, my body was just telling me that this is a time to nurture myself a little bit more and to nourish myself a little bit better and to take care of myself a little bit deeper and to take care of my stress levels and to not rely on caffeine anymore to get through the day and to exercise in a way that is right for my body and not, you know, and, I'm, and I have been doing that for a long time, but to really hone in on those simple changes that can make a really big difference. Because ultimately, aside from the, you know, the period of healing where I was on a ton of supplements, the changes that I've made to balance my hormones are not crazy. They're not massive. They were small, simple switches that I've made over time that have helped me to get back into balance. And that's what I love is that our bodies are so adaptable and our bodies desire balance. And our job is just to listen, to tune in and to give our bodies balance in the best way that we can. So some of the things that I do on a regular basis now to actively take care of my hormones are, like I mentioned, I still take holy basil and magnesium for my anxiety. Um, and I do love those. And those are things that you can talk with your practitioner and decide if they're both available over the counter, but decide if those are right for you. And, you know, they're not going to interact with anything that you're taking. Um, and I also love ashwagandha when I'm in periods of stress and I take that in the morning. That's an adaptogen. My sister's actually started taking it too, and she's noticed a huge difference. Um, staying hydrated, especially electrolytes when it gets, well, especially with electrolytes when it gets warmer. Keeping my blood sugar balanced is just a massive game changer. And for me, this just means a lot more fiber, a lot more veggies. Um, I eat carbs, but I don't pile them on. And I eat a lot of protein and some healthy fats thrown in there. And I don't, I don't overthink it. I create meals that are lots of veggies, protein, carbs, and fat. That's what I do. Um, and I take care of myself around exercise. And I am just I'm really, really intuitive about exercise. And I try not to overdo it. If I'm tired, I don't work out. Um, and the new things that I'm working on are timing my running around my cycle and eliminating caffeine. And those are things that I will share an update with you guys on 
in the future as I'm recording this, um, as I'm just starting that journey. This is going to come out in about a month and a half, um, just timing-wise. Today was the day that I don't have any kids and I was able to get up early and to record this, um, and I'm glad I did. I hope you guys are still with me. This is a very long episode. This might be my longest solo episode. You guys got everything from me getting my first period through giving birth to both of my babies to where I am today. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed sharing it with all of you guys. Um, I hope you guys all have a wonderful week. If you have any questions on my journey or any questions or, or specific topics you want me to answer, we're coming up on season three. Or, nope, sorry. We're season three right now. We're coming up on season, the end of season three. The season finale um, is going to be really fun. And then uh, season four is where um, we are going to kick off some new guests. And if so, if there's any guests or any topics specifically that you want me to cover, um, please let me know. Don't forget to follow us over in the Healthy Balance Mamas Facebook community. Join me over on Instagram at Healthy Mama Chris, and I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. If you loved it, would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on Instagram and tag me in it? It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me. And as a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are meant for education and inspiration only and are not to be taken as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with a trusted practitioner before making any changes. Have a beautiful day, friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.